Please take out your Bible and turn to the book of John. We'll be reading from the book of John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 13. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21 and reading to verse 35. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. This is what Holy Scripture says. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Divided, distanced, discord. These are a few of the words you could use to describe our present cultural moment. From differences over health mandates to opposing political parties and stances, to different ideas over climate activism, over racial tensions, it feels like there's no shortage of things over which our society disagrees upon. And therefore, it feels like there's no shortage of reasons for people not to get along. It's not surprising that distrust and disunity mark our culture right now because the reality is the non-Christian world depends on ties and connections that are fundamentally at the core weak. They cannot keep them together. And yet, brothers and sisters, is that to be the case for us 
in here. Out there, there's much discord, there's much division. But how about in here? How about among us as the people of God, as the family of Jesus Christ? Are we to be any different? Our suspicion and scrutiny to be the marks of the church, of this church? According to Jesus, the Lord of the church, the marks of the church are not to be discord, division, distance, but rather we're to be a counter-cultural faction. We're to be a glimpse of what the new humanity, the new creation will be like on that great day. We as the community of Christ are to be utterly different, totally otherworldly from our current society and current culture. According to Jesus, the Lord of the church, the head of the body, he says that his body is to be marked by love. That we are to be a people marked by love for each other. Love for one another. According to the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, we are to be a people who zealously seek to love each other with the love of Jesus. We must love each other. In John 13, we will find from our Lord, from the very mouth of Jesus, the command, the measure, and the outcome of love for each other. Now, as we look at verses 34 and 35 in detail, it's also valuable to be reminded of the gospel writer's intent in recording these words. Each of the authors of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gave a portrayal of the life of Jesus with a specific purpose in mind. They had an end goal in recording what they wrote about the Lord Jesus. John's purpose for the 21 chapters of his gospel was to show us that Jesus is the anointed son of God, the one who came into the world to live and to die upon the cross so that whoever would turn to him might have eternal life. This is what John recorded in his thesis statement in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. John, having written this far into his book about the miracles of Jesus, interspersed with the teachings of Jesus, now brings us to the upper room. Here the Lord Jesus gives his last teaching to his closest disciples, to the 12 apostles, his dearest followers, just before hours, he will go to the cross. In a few hours, he'll go to the cross. So far in chapter 13, in the midst of the Passover meal, the Lord Jesus has got up and washed his disciples' feet. Then he's spoken about how he's known all along that amidst the 12 of them, there was one snake in the grass. There was one traitor. He had known all along. And as Pastor Tim had read for us, he had known that person was soon to go and betray him. Soon after, Judas rises, leaves the table, and goes to perpetrate this backstabbing against the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leaves us now in verse 31, all the way to chapter 16, verse 33, this upper room discourse. It leaves us with Jesus speaking solely to his disciples. 
Everything he will now say is to the people of God for whom he will die. In verses 31 to 33, the Lord Jesus, referring to his impending death, says that now is the time in which he will be glorified and in which the Father will be glorified. Many people throughout history have said to themselves, have said out loud, that the crucifixion of Jesus was a shame. It was a great tragedy. But this is far from the case. From the vantage point of God the Son, God the Father, and all of redemptive history, the crucifixion of Christ was not a moment of great defeat, but the moment of greatest triumph. For as Jesus was there dying upon the cross, he was giving his life for his people. As Jesus was there suffering and dying, he was paying for the sins of his loved ones, of his followers. And he was fulfilling the plan of God. For this reason, after dying on Good Friday, Jesus would be raised to life on Sunday. He would eventually ascend back to heaven and become the centerpiece of worship for all of eternity. The cross was not only the means by which Jesus would be executed, it was the means by which he would be glorified. It was the means by which the Father would be glorified. With all of this in mind, Jesus spoke of his glory, the Father's glory, and then of his departure in verses 31 to 33, thus leading us to our text today where he'll say these words to the 11 disciples. Words that are as relevant as they were then, as they are now. This leads us to our first truth about love for each other. Firstly, love each other because Jesus says so. Love each other because Jesus says so. See what Jesus says in your Bible John chapter 13, verse 34, he begins, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. In this moment, Jesus switches from descriptive conversation to a prescriptive demand. Whatever Christ is about to say does not come as a suggestion, it comes as a command. What he's saying is not coming as an opinion or as an option. It comes as a direct order to his disciples, to the 11, to us. What Jesus says here comes as law from heaven. A law of grace, but nonetheless a law from heaven. A divine imperative. There are weights. There's a weight in these words, a compulsion within them, which impresses upon us the hearers, the necessity to heed and to accept them. Brothers and sisters, we must never forget who we're looking at in the text right now, who the Lord Jesus Christ truly is. He is God in the flesh, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus, the one who says to the storm, peace, be still. And the raging seas become as calm as the Scarborough Bluffs on a summer afternoon. This is the Lord Jesus who says to the leprous outcast, I will be clean. 
And immediately the man's skin becomes as soft as a baby's bottom. This is Jesus, the Lord, who says to the dead child, he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she comes to life as though she'd only been taking a nap. This is Jesus, the master and controller of the universe, who when he speaks, everything obeys. When he gives a command, everything bows and listens. Therefore, what this means, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus has the right to tell you how to live your life. Jesus has the right to tell you how to live your life, both as an individual and as a corporate assembly. This is true for all people, whether this is the first time you're ever hearing Christian preaching or the thousandth time that you've heard the word of God spoken. But this is especially true for those of us who are believers. Jesus has every right to tell us how to live our lives. We don't make the rules. Jesus does. Therefore, the question I pose to you as we continue looking at this passage is, will you listen to Jesus? Are you going to listen to the Son of God and everything he's about to say right now? Will you listen to Jesus or will you allow these words to go in one ear and out the other? I pray, brothers and sisters, that we would be a people eager to receive the commands of Christ. I pray, brothers and sisters, at Park Royal Bible Church, that you'll be a people eager to receive the command of Jesus to love each other. For friends, there's no greater joy than this, to love. What greater command is there than that, to love, to love each other? And yet, what greater, what more serious command is there than the command to love each other? What a joy to be commanded to love each other, but also what a serious thing to be commanded to love each other. Consider these verses, these warnings and evaluations from John's first epistle. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 to 24 says this, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, Jesus does not give commands except with the expectation that they be carefully obeyed. I pray to God that we would be a people 
who would be found eager to obey this word from the Lord. Friend, I urge you to resolve even now where you sit that as we continue in this passage, that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, you will commit yourself to obey and enact what Jesus is about to say. So far, we've seen that Jesus has called us to love each other because it's a command. Jesus says love each other and we're to do it. Now the Lord will show us the standard and measure of the love we are to have for one another. This leads us to our second truth about loving each other. Number two, love each other with sacrificial, self-giving love. Love each other with sacrificial, self-giving love. Now again, look at your Bible, verse 34, that first part again. Notice what Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Jesus prefaces what he's about to say as saying that it's a new commandment. Now you would imagine with him saying that it's new, brand new, that it would be something totally unfamiliar that the disciples had never heard before. And yet, at first glance, when we read the commandment to love each other, not only is that not a new commandment, but it's actually an old, old commandment. The first time this command to love one another explicitly appears in the scriptures is on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai when God gives the law to Moses and the people of Israel. As was read for us by Pastor Paul in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus would go on to show just how significant this command truly is when answering the question of a scribe in Mark chapter 12. The question in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, comes like this. The scribe asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Christ's response is telling. Verse 29 to 31, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus says on these two commandments, there's no greater than these. He would actually go on to say in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, in the parallel text to this one in Mark 12, he says in answer to the religious leader, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In essence, Jesus is stating that the command to love your neighbor really is the summation and the heart behind every one of God's laws concerning how to treat each other. He says that to love God summarizes all the commands concerning how to interact with the Lord. And to love your neighbor as yourself summarizes all the other commands you'll find in the Old Testament about how you should treat other human beings. This is the same thing Paul would say in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, when he would say that love 
is the fulfilling of the law. I bring all of this to your attention to say that on the surface, Jesus' command to love one another does not seem new. Not that it's not important, but it just doesn't seem new. That is until we notice that Jesus did not simply say, love one another. Look again at verse 34. Look at the second second half of it. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Here is the new part. Here is where the command to love each other takes on a whole new dimension. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The command has taken on a new standard. Jesus has just upped the ante. Previously, the standard and measure of love for one person to another was to give love in proportion to how a person loves themselves. Now Jesus has said, the new standard is not to love people the way you love yourself, but to love people the way I have loved you. This really is an astonishing statement. Jesus has done the same thing he did on the Sermon on the Mount when he would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus has just intensified the law of God, or better stated, He showed what the true standard of God's law had always been. Christ's words to Peter, James, and John is this. Fellas, love each other the way I have loved you. Love each other the way I am about to love you. And now Jesus Christ gives that same command to us, brothers and sisters of Grace Fellowship Church. We're no longer to care for each other based on how we care for ourselves. We're no longer to love each other based on how we've loved ourselves, but based on how Christ has loved us. Now, this begs the question, how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus show his love for us? The answer to this question is amazing, and it's worth our focus. You see, even as Christians... Oftentimes, our understanding of love is more influenced by our society rather than Scripture. We can begin to think that love is solely a romantic feeling and nothing else. The reality is we cannot begin to accurately define what love is without talking about who God is. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Because God is love. God himself is the very definition of love. Love gains its defining characteristics from the person and behavior of the perfect God. In order to truly understand what love is, we must look at 
the loving God, and how he displays his love. How then has God demonstrated and revealed his love? Listen to the rest of 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation meaning the satisfaction of God's wrath. The demonstration of God's love for us was the cross of Christ. How has Christ loved us? The measure and method of Christ's love for us was to give up his life for our sake. It was to die for us when we did not merit being rescued. It was to stand in our place and suffer in our stead. It was to take from us the punishment we deserved and in exchange to give us the glory and blessing that he had earned. People of God, this is how Jesus has loved us, with a sacrificial and self-giving love. And therefore, this is how we are to love each other. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 says this. By this we know love. How? Listen to it. That he, Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John says here, Jesus died for us, therefore we ought to die for each other in the way we love each other. How does this look like? John keeps going in verses 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John says, don't only talk the talk, but walk the walk. John is saying here, our love is to be an actionable love. What does this look like? It looks like when someone's been absent from our church gatherings week after week and there's a growing concern, it means that you take the initiative as a member of this church to reach out to them, to call them, to go and visit them and say, how are you doing? Where are you at right now? How how is your soul? I care for you. I want to know. What does this look like? It looks like a member who mentions that they've broken, that their car is broken. It means that you, when you hear that, you don't simply say, oh, that's too bad. I'm, I'm sorry, you're inconvenienced. It looks like you saying to that fellow member, hey, can I give you a ride this week? Do you need any help? Do you need to get to work? Do you need to get groceries this week? Is there any way I can serve you with my car? I'd love to help you. Brothers and sisters, how tender and precious that is. I've had someone do that from our church, from our church gatherings, And I almost wept hearing someone offer to do that for me out of the blue. What does it look like to love to lay down your life for a fellow brother or sister? It means that when you hear of someone struggling, when you're talking, you've said, how are you doing? And someone tells you, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling with with discontentment, discontentment over my job or discontentment over my singleness. It means that you, as a fellow believer, say, do you mind if I just show you a passage out of Philippians 4? Do you mind if I just show you that the resurrected Christ is where you are to find your contentment and satisfaction? 
in a gentle and loving way, speaking the truth in love. That's a way to lay down your life and to serve, to love each other as Jesus has loved us. Our love for each other is to follow the pattern of the cross. It's to be cross-shaped. It should not only consist of strong feelings and emotions and words, but it must be actionable, tangible, observable. Like the Marine lieutenant who leaps onto a landmine to protect his fellow soldiers from the deadly explosion, so must our love for one another be. The kind of love that says through our everyday actions, I am prepared to die for you. Now before we go any further, I want to acknowledge the tension in these words. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You may be thinking to yourself, to love each other like Jesus? That standard is immeasurably high. We can never die for each other's sins. This is true. And yet, do not excuse yourself from seeking to obey Christ's commands simply because they seem so lofty. Every command of Scripture seems insurmountably high and unachievable, and yet that does not grant us an out from seeking to live according to them. Don't tap out from the wrestling match or throw in the towel before even attempting to get in the ring. We must battle to love each other just as we would battle to live holy lives, just as we would battle to live above reproach, just as we would battle to set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. We must battle to love just as we would battle not to let even a hint of impurity taint our lives. Though we pursue these virtues imperfectly, know that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, God receives our efforts And he's pleased when we seek to live up to his commands in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Just as with all the commands of Scripture, the question that we should ask ourselves is not, am I keeping this perfectly? Because the answer to that question is a definitive no. (laughs) Rather, the question that you should ask yourself is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Am I striving to pursue and fulfill this command? By the grace of God, am I growing in my love for the saints, both in affection and action? Through the strength that God supplies, am I increasing in sacrificial, self-giving service to the members of this church? As we conduct such heart assessments, inevitably we will find that we come up short In many areas, whether to one degree or another, we'll find that we've lived a self-centered, self-absorbed life in some manner. In response to this, I want to remind you that not only is the grace of God sufficient to cover these failings, but that the way to get up, dust yourself off, and get back at it is not by simply trying harder to be better at loving. Rather, It's by returning to the foot of the cross. It's by again looking upon our bloodied savior there as he gives his life for ours. It's by gazing again at the Lord Jesus Christ and again being reminded that Jesus gave himself for us. 
This is where we gain the motivation to go and love each other the way Jesus has loved us. Christian, the more deeply you understand and treasure Christ's love for you, the greater your capacity will be to love others. The more deeply you treasure and understand God's love for you, Christ's love for you, the greater your capacity will be to love one another. This is what John communicates in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. And then he says in 1 John 4, 19, a famous verse, we love because he first loved us. That's the order. It's understanding that you are loved, therefore you are to love. Don't get it backwards. It's understanding how much God loves you that will then be the motivating factor for you to go and love others. And if you've then understood this principle and you're looking for clear boots to the ground instructions on how to start loving your family in Christ, I encourage you, go and read 1 Corinthians 13. And if you want more instructions, go and read the entire epistle of 1 John, all five chapters. And if you want even more ammunition, more instruction, more guidance on how to go and love this church, to go and love fellow Christians, I encourage you, pick up your copy of the Membership Covenant. It literally is a love manual. Read it. Read the scripture references cited there. And you'll see clear ways for you to go about loving your fellow members, your fellow Christians. So far, Jesus has shown us the command to love each other. He's shown us the measure of our love for one another. Now, finally, he will show us and demonstrate for us the outcome of loving each other. This leads us to our final truth about loving each other. Number three, love each other and show the world what it means to follow Jesus. Love each other and show the world what it means to follow Jesus. Briefly look with me at verse 35. The Lord Jesus says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that if we take his words seriously and love our fellow believers like he loves us, it will prove to the watching world that we are truly his followers. Straight from the mouth of Jesus, we're finding out that love is one of the great apologetics, one of the great proofs and defenses of the Christian faith. Think for a moment about why love is the indicator of being a Jesus follower. Consider Jesus himself. The Son of Man spent his entire earthly ministry going about doing good because he loved people. If you were alive during the time of Jesus, there would be no question in your mind about whether or not Jesus loved people. His entire life was a big, I love you, to all of the human race. Therefore, brothers and sisters, if we're to follow in our master's footsteps, if we're to seek to follow Jesus and become more and more like our Savior, we also ought to be a people of love. We also ought to be a people who love each other. 
It is by loving each other that we prove to this dying world that there is a rescuer who revolutionizes self-centered people and turns them into selfless lovers. You cannot argue with a transformed life. And there is no greater transformation than to encounter the loving Savior and to be made into a disciple of love. Friends, what would it look like if when a non-Christian came to our church, they were astonished not only by the preaching of the gospel, but by the love that we have for one another? What would it look like if, that, if when we brought non-Christian family and friends to church, we were not only eager for them to hear the sermon, but for them to see the countercultural love that we have for each other? What would it look like if when non-Christians came to our homes and saw us fellowshipping with fellow believers, that they exclaimed, whoa, you guys are different. You really love each other. You really do believe this Jesus stuff. What would that look like? This is what Jesus is getting at here. This is what we should be aiming for. If you want people to know that you follow Jesus, you don't need a t-shirt with a Christian slogan. You don't need a necklace with a crucifix on it. You don't need a bumper sticker and you don't need to make a post on Instagram about it. All you need to do is go and love your fellow church members. Love them well. Love them with the love of Christ, and that will speak for itself. The first Christians proved that they understood what Jesus' expectation of love was. In the book of Acts, the early church did not only go about telling people about Jesus and contending earnestly for the faith, but they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to loving each other well, spending time together, frequently making sure that no one lacked anything physically or financially. The gospel that they preached and the love that they practiced shook the ancient world to its core. No one but Jesus could be the cause of that sacrificial and self-giving love. Brothers and sisters, let us be the same. Let us seek to be a people who are more than willing to inconvenience ourselves, sacrifice ourselves, forget ourselves, let us be a people who bend over backwards for each other. Let us be there for each other when it's easy and when it's hard. Let's act like we truly are family in Jesus. Let's bear each other's burdens. The same way that Jesus loved us to the death, let's love each other to the death. Let's love each other. Yes, now as at any time, it feels like our culture, our world, our society is divided. That there's every reason to disagree and to be disagreeable. Disputes and infighting are the norm out there, but not in here. The chief characteristic of the Christian community is to be love. An otherworldly love that cannot be explained except for the existence and reality of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we be such a church, one that is defined by love for each other. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, we're glad that you're present with us. 
This church is not made up of perfect people, but of saved people. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has forgiven us of our sins through his death and resurrection. And this is the good news that we celebrate and we live for. We pray that as you interact with us and mingle with us, that you will see and experience for yourself the goodness of God and witness that our love for each other is real, that it is genuine and that it is the byproduct of having encountered the God of love, Christ our Savior. We urge you today to seriously consider the claims you've heard, to turn away from your sins, to believe in Jesus for the rescue of your soul, and then to join our family of love. Church, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your love for us. We recognize that we are undeserving and that you are an amazing God. Please, Holy Spirit, give us grace. Give us strength to actually enact what we've heard. Help us to be a church of love that displays your gospel to this world. All of this we ask and pray in your name. Amen.